Welcome to the BABCLA's live Zoom webinar, converted to a podcast. Each episode, you'll hear enlightening interviews on timely subjects with British and American experts across industry. And good morning, everybody. My name is James Langridge, and I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. And I am absolutely delighted once again for everyone listening now and who will be listening at a later time for joining us for a live webinar event with our very own Matt Jacobson of Doucer. Am I getting that right, that pronunciation, Doucer? Yes. Doucer Global Business School. Matt, good morning. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Loving it uh, up here and very excited to be on the webinar. Thanks for the invite. Oh, I'm absolutely, are you kidding me? We're delighted to have you. Everyone listening now, Matt has a fantastic story about his business and I'm very excited for him to share that with us. Just if you're listening now, just a couple of housekeeping tasks. Good morning once again. So glad to have you here. If you have a question, go to the Q&A section at the base of the screen. Good morning, Jonathan. Thanks for that. And type in any questions. I will flag them up and I will ask them. Or if we can make it work, we'll have you, call, we'll have you ask the question live. I think the, the flow of this meeting today is Matt is going to give us a little bit of an understanding about what he does. And we're going to give him the floor and then we're going to open it up for a few questions, some of which I already have. Anyone listening, if you've got a question, send them over. So without further ado, Matt. It's great to have you here again uh, today. I said that already, but I really mean it. Tell us about what you do. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of background just, I think, on myself and how the vision of Desir started, but then focusing right into uh, British education and obviously, you know, part of what you're all about, which is the quality and promoting, uh, you know, great initiatives between the US and the UK. So I do want to focus on that sort of British education element, but just to go back a step, I very early on when I started, you know, my career and first went to university, I did a law degree and I had an experience that pretty much resonates, I think, with everyone I've ever spoken to since, which is you go to university, you sit in a bunch of lectures, you work really hard, it costs a lot of money, takes a lot of time, you think you're doing all the right things. And then as soon as you go to get a job and you start your first, jo- your first day on the job in an office, you think, oh, bloody hell, I actually don't really know anything. And kind of nothing that you learn in the lecture room really resonates with the skills and practical requirements of your career and vocation. So there's definitely that disconnect that's there. And so I knew that from the legal background, but then everyone I spoke to, you know, friends that were engineers, that were accountants, that were in finance, that were in advertising, they would all say the same thing. I basically had to learn everything as soon as I started on the job. The theory, the textbook doesn't really cut it very well, but everyone just puts up with it. That is the sector. And even universities and university research themselves don't try to pretend that they're offering programs that really set people up for their future career. The term in the industry is called signaling. And it's basically this concept that, well, having a degree and a piece of paper is just a signal to the market um, that you have some sort of level of discipline and, and broad intellectual ability, but then you can sort of learn the skills you need on the job. My view was that's a bit ridiculous, to be honest, because you're spending so much time and money and effort. If you're going to be studying, you may as well study something useful. So the concept of the Desir Global Business School was to create the world's most industry-relevant, industry-integrated university qualifications. So we partner with major universities actually in four continents, including the UK, but we as an organization partner with major public institutions around the world. 
And then we fully build curriculum that is with industry and for industry. And what I mean by that is with industry, um, we have a global leaders faculty of presidents, prime ministers, Nobel prize winners, um, heads of the CIA, heads of the UN, just the most incredible people, hundreds of world leaders that are part of our curriculum that we build. So that what we call our DSER global leaders faculty. And then we deliver for industry. We partner with the biggest organizations in the world, Apple, LinkedIn, PwC, KPMG, United Nations, Disney, government departments, blah, 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 like on and on. And that means that students' assignments and projects, we don't have any exams in our qualifications, assignments and projects are based on solving real challenges of global businesses. So it's practical, it's hands-on, you're also networking, you're collaborating with other peers, you're collaborating with these companies. So that's what we do all over the world. So whether we're operating in Africa or Australia, we're still doing very industry relevant degrees. And we have won awards for those degrees from all over the world and got press for being the most industry relevant. So that is a general statement. But then in the US, there's very particular challenges around higher education in the US. And I think that's where the British side comes in that opens up incredible opportunities for people in the US market to overcome some of the barriers that exist here that are quite structural barriers for people getting degrees. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's got, a, I'm guessing it's probably your biggest marketplace. Is it a saturated market? How do you differentiate yourself from some of the other major players in it, Matt? Yeah, great question. There are loads of challenges in the local market here. It is the biggest education market in the world. On one hand, it's saturated, but on the one hand, uh, on the other hand, it has a lot of gaps as well. So in terms of saturation, there'd probably be more registered universities and colleges per capita than anywhere else in the world. There's 5,000. Um, take the UK, for example, as a comparison, I think there's about 111 universities in the UK. Granted, it's a smaller population, but 111 versus 5,000. I mean, it's just a ridiculous you know, difference in terms of the number of institutions. But then the barriers to education here prevent so many people from getting an education. So everyone knows about cost. Okay, that's just a given, right? Everyone knows about the cost crisis of higher education. Here in the US, an average college degree is now 120,000 US dollars. A decent MBA program is gonna set you back over $100,000. So you're talking about close to a quarter of a million dollars to get a bachelor's degree and an MBA. So everyone knows that, and I can talk a little bit more about cost, but that's a huge barrier. But that is not the only barrier, there's significant other barriers. I'll give an example of one of the bachelor's space and one at the MBA space. So in the bachelor space, for anyone who's um, on the webinar that's from the UK, they'll just assume that this is like how everyone does education. But for people who are from the US, they'll find this super surprising. And that is that if you do a college degree in the US, so let's say James, you knew that you wanted to be in business, that was your interest, you love the idea of trade, international trade, you in the UK, at 18 could have decided that's what I want to do. And I'm going to do a bachelor degree in international business. Very, very focused. Let's say I was creative and I wanted to do a bachelor of photography because I'm not a photographer, but let's say that was just a passion of mine. And I thought I really want to be a photographer. I'm going to do a bachelor of photography. Well, in the UK, you can do a bachelor degree in those specialized areas. And in fact, in pretty much every country in the world, you can do a specialized degree in those areas. In the US, you cannot do that, even if you wanted to. Even with all the 5,000 institutions that are there, you cannot do a Bachelor of International Business and focus purely on your area of interest. 
you would have to do classes in astronomy, history, calculus, algebra, foreign language, you know, lots and lots of classes. You're talking about two years essentially of what's called GEs or general education. So that is great, actually. It's a really good thing if someone's interested in all of those subjects, American history, literature, Greek philosophy, whatever. Like if you're interested in those things, that's great. That's a big advantage. But if you're not interested in those things, it's a huge challenge and it's a huge barrier. And it's not just a kind of pain in the butt barrier, like, oh, well, I've got to put up with putting, you know, with dealing with some of those classes. It's a structural barrier to people getting a degree. So there are, here's a really interesting stat. There are a group of people, a demographic in the US that are called some college, no degree. It means they went to college, they dropped out. So they've got the debt, they've got some classes, they've got nothing to show for it. It's worse than not even starting. How many people fall into that category? 37 million people. It is huge. It's actually frightening. And that's because... That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. 37 million people that have wasted time and money and don't have anything to show for it. And the reason you have such a big demographic of some college, no degree, is because people who don't like maths, for example, or don't like science, and they're forced to take those classes, after a while, they're like, you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to drop out. Someone who wants to be a graphic designer doesn't want to take calculus classes. So you're forced to do that in the US. But in the British system, you can do a degree in just graphic design or just international business or just marketing, whatever you want to do. So when we deliver British degrees in the US, uh, which is all we do in the North American market, in uh, the US and Canada, we're only delivering online British accredited university degrees. So students here can do a bachelor's degree, which takes um, half the time because you have no general um, ed requirements. But not only is less time, students are focusing just on what they want to do and what they're passionate about. So if you're already working in marketing, but you never had a degree or you're working in business or project management and you never had a degree, the last thing you want to do is go back to college and start taking astronomy classes. But if you can do an online flexible degree that's work related and only relevant to your career, much, much more interesting. The second, which is probably more relevant, James, to your audience is in the MBA space. So again, British education has more options, more variety, understands that people are different. We're not cookie cutter, you know, all the same. So in the American system, there's really one way to get an MBA. You finish school, you do pretty well in school, you get into college, you finish a college degree, you do a bit of work, and then you do an MBA. So that process of a bachelor's and an MBA is going to take around eight to nine years, particularly if you're doing it part-time and working, and it's going to cost about $180,000 on average. That's the only way you can do it. That's okay for the people where everything kind of fell into place and they went down the right track from the beginning. Imagine someone who had to work early, support family, whatever it was, didn't have an opportunity to spend four or five years in college. So they went straight into the workforce. Now that person is 40 years old. They might have their own business. They might be an entrepreneur. They might be a manager of a bank. They could be, you know, a senior manager at Microsoft, but they work their way up from 18. They never had a university degree. And now they're thinking, I've kind of hit a ceiling and I really would love to go further in my career. And so a university degree opens up a lot more opportunities for C-suite, for promotion, for advancement, and obviously pay rise. There's a lot of stats and research around increased earnings if you have a bachelor's degree or if you have an MBA. So what are the options in America for those people? Go back to freshman year college and do your entire bachelor's and an MBA. That process is going to take eight, nine years. Who at 40 or 35 wants to do that? 
it's just a barrier that is essentially a deal breaker. People don't want to do it. In the UK, they have a broader perspective. So UK says, well, you can either come in through a bachelor's degree or you can come in with demonstrated professional management experience. So if you have five plus years of demonstrated management experience, you can do an MBA accredited by the University of Wales, Trinity St. David's, the third oldest university in the UK after Cambridge and Oxford, centuries old, reputable, et cetera. You can get an MBA, go straight in, and you can enroll today and you will be an MBA class of 2021. Next year, you are going to be an MBA graduate today. You're already an MBA class of 2021. You can enroll now for the University of East London to serve executive MBA if you want it to be at executive level. Again, you enroll today, 2021. You are an MBA graduate today. You're a MBA class of 2021. So you can do that because of professional experience. And here's kind of, I think, a bit of an interesting just irony that we talk about. And there's a white paper. And if anyone's interested, James, any questions or white papers, anyone wants on quality of British education or MBAs without a bachelor's degree, we've got papers and articles written on all this stuff. But just an interesting... Sure, what we'll do at the, at the end of this, we'll, um, when we release this podcast, we'll put all that information out there for you, Matt. Oh, perfect. But I was just going to finish off with one story that I think is just really ironic. And that is that if you take Bill Gates, Zuckerberg, uh, Richard Branson, Dell, you know, these are huge business titans, right? That started multi-billion dollar companies. All of these people are invited to the top prestigious Ivy League MBA programs to come in and lecture to the students. Oh, what an honor, right? For MBA students to hear from Bill Gates at Princeton or Columbia University or whatever because they're so knowledgeable and expert to come and talk to the students. If those same people thought, oh, this actual um, program looks pretty cool. And they said to the university, maybe I want to do this MBA. The university would say, sorry, you don't actually qualify. We won't let you in. It's like, what? what do you mean? It's like, well, technically you didn't complete your bachelor's degree. So we won't let you in. So that's a bit crazy, right? That they'd have them lecturing to students, but they won't let them do the program. UK universities are the opposite. They would actually say, you probably have better experience than someone who's done a bachelor's degree um, and just graduated college who's 22, but never had that real world experience. So now we have students who are enrolled in our MBA in the US. We have people in the National Guard. We have people who are in the fire department, in the sheriff's department. We have senior managers at Microsoft, at Morgan Stanley, at just the biggest corporations who thought the dream of college was just never going to happen. And now they're enrolled into MBA programs and really senior people as well, former head of counterterrorism for the Department of Homeland Security and um, people who are so excited because they're like, I now actually have this dream of getting those letters and getting an MBA. So huge advantage. That's amazing. Yeah. It's very cool. It's really exciting to see people like so excited. Yeah. They never thought it would be possible for them to get that university qualification. That's great. No, that really is. That's um, how inspiring. Wow. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. And please, Matt, if there's more to add to that, please do. And as it comes to you, please, while everyone's listening. But I'm going to jump in with a couple of questions because, I mean, that was, for everyone listening, uh, welcome. And, uh, wow, what a great share. That was wonderful. Let me ask you this. You made it sound so easy, okay? And that's what we want. We want simpli- People need simplicity. But how is it, is it transferable from England? Are we seeing people who, I suppose my question is, if you get your MBA in England, is it recognized here in the U.S.? Is it, is it completely question. transferable? That's a really great question. So we get asked that a lot. So because all of our degrees are 100% online, you're still staying in 
you know, Minnesota or Montana or LA or wherever you are, you're not going to live in the UK to do your degree in the UK. You're staying local, but you're doing a British degree and you're getting an accredited British university qualification. So then the question is, how is that recognized in the US and is it recognized in the US? And it's actually recognized on a number of levels. So firstly, the question is, well, do people just recognize the quality of British education? You know, nothing against Fiji or whatever, but if uh, someone, you know, said they got a degree from, you know, Fiji or something, people might think, oh, don't know really if that's uh, at the quality of what we would expect. British education is regarded as one of the top two um, higher education systems in the world. So the US and the UK are regarded as the top two higher education systems. So that is, you know, already a great starting point. Four out of the top 10 UK universities um, from a rankings perspective are in London alone worldwide. So that's already amazing. So that's just generally the perception of British education. It's world renowned and world respected. And interestingly, when we get asked that a lot, how would it be perceived in the, US market, we talk about the fact that the whole of the US higher education system was structured around the British education system. So that's quite amazing because Harvard University was actually started by colleges of Cambridge University. And then the whole of US higher education was modeled on the Harvard model. So US education is actually modeled on British education. So there's a whole lot of history and background and prestige, but then specifically, is it formally recognized in the US, which I think is probably the more relevant part of your question. And it's recognized in a number of ways. Firstly, the universities that we partner with in the US, the University of East London and the University of Wales, Trinity St. David, are both Title IV registered in the US. So they're actually recognized by the Department of Education. That means a student can just go onto Sally May and get a loan. So it's fully formally recognized. If you're in um, uh, veterans, uh, part of the VA, veterans affairs, military, you can get financing through the GI Bill. Um, You can get finance as a veteran through the VA. And so it's recognized formally in that way for loans or military or Department of Education. But I think, so technically, yes, is the answer, long answer to your question. Technically it's recognized. But I think most important is practically, is it recognized? What will employees, so I've got this MBA and I'm gonna go apply for a job and what are people gonna think if I've got an executive MBA from the University of East London? And one of the things that we do that's pretty cool is we show a page of all the logos where alumni are from. And it's virtually every company you can think of from FBI, Tesla, Marriott Hotels, Google, just you know so many different major corporations, Apple, I could just keep listing them. And so it's like, well, if all of those major Fortune 500 companies will take on alumni and we've got lots of student testimonials and, you know, partner um, programs with these companies, then that's really ultimately the endorsement that we're looking for. We're not so much looking for the, the government official endorsement, even though it's there and that's important. It's nice to have. What we really want is if someone's going to go and apply for a job at LinkedIn, that they're going to look at this right. and go, wow, this is actually, you know, great experience. No, I get it. And I'm guessing it's because people, if people can see those well-known names, they can relate to it. When it's lovely to get a government endorsement, it's great to get someone to say, you guys are wonderful. But for the average guy looking to further their education and they're seeing, well, you know, if someone's done it at a similar company to me, why can't I do it? So when you can get that, what a great model, brilliant model. You know, education is such a hot topic at the moment. People are it's almost the perfect storm for you guys right now because people are so now used to doing everything from home. 
working remotely. Children in America are starting to return to school right now, but in a virtual environment for the first time ever. And so there's a massive use of technology, new technology that's coming out. How does Ducer utilize technology? I mean, obviously, you're connecting these students from all around the world to the East London University. What, what's that? That's, a, that's quite an achievement on its own. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, great question. And it's a really, really interesting topic at the moment with everything that's going on. So um, as a business school, we've only ever, our entire history has only ever been 100% distance education delivered online. And obviously right now, school kids and college kids are all being forced to go online, not necessarily by choice, but just because of the circumstances that are happening. But online is not the same as all online. They vary greatly. And one of the big problems in the current situation with you know, everything that's going on with coronavirus is that we design education from the ground up to be delivered online. It means it's very interactive, the platform, you can access everything that you need to access on a mobile phone through digital media. There's videos and animations and light boards and all of our academics and student support are hired, trained and expert in working with students who are also working in jobs. They need flexibility, how to manage their education around family, around you know, work commitments. And that's what we do. So that's the whole model that we've created from the beginning. So when you go in, it's beautifully designed and very visual and very engaging and all of those sorts of things. But what's happening now, which is causing a huge amount of turmoil, is students who were dealing with campus and university programs, they are now just essentially being given a login to access Word documents and being told that's your online experience. So they're still being charged here in the US $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year for tuition. And they don't have beautiful campuses. They don't have the gyms, all the other things that you know a campus environment provides and that you're actually paying for. And you're just actually getting second rate material delivered online because it wasn't designed in that way. When we build programs, these things take years to develop with experts right. online design of education. And the universities through no fault of their own, just the reality that we live in, we're told basically within two weeks, oh, you've got to have your stuff available for students online, campus shut. So they're getting a very, very poor product. But what it is doing long-term and more systemically is people are realizing, oh, I can actually learn online and I can manage and be flexible, you know, with a lot of other things. So that's one of the things that's really important in terms of the longer term and systemic effects of people realizing that maybe I can just study online and why am I going to, um, you know, drive to a campus park, go into a lecture room, sit there, be lectured to, because it's not that interactive anyway. And then you're actually having to go through all of that practical, uh, you know, stuff that you have to deal with rather than just getting your learning. But the bigger issue, I think, is the issue around the academic side, rather than being practical and relevant to people's careers and the work integrated learning. And that's what the traditional universities are just not strong at. That's very true. And on top of that, as well, with, the, with these universities right now, is if you're a foreign student living in America, I understand that if you're now taking your university online, that they've actually relinquished your visa as well. So you can't, you, longer term, you can't even stay here. I don't know if I'm getting that absolutely correct. That's more of an immigration question, but that opens up a, a bigger door 
to an even bigger issue. So, uh, yeah, no, that's great. And I, I'm, very, I'm interested. I'm really interested to see what this online platform, Matt, because honestly, I'm thinking about doing it myself. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that offline. But that's, it's, I think you're just doing a wonderful, wonderful thing. And the other thing is, you know, we talked about it being transferable. Education here in America is, is a wonderful thing. It's also a very costly thing. There's a huge amount of money involved in getting a great education here. And obviously, comparably, your product is certainly not as expensive. Okay. But tell us a little bit more about how, you know, you talked about you could get funding for it. Is that typically what happens here? Or, I mean, tell us a little yeah. bit more about the financial setup of it. Yeah, good question. So actually, even though technically we do have finance available and the biggest student lender in the world being uh, Sally May, you can just go online because Desir with the University of East London and Desir with the University of Wales, they're both fully funded for bachelors and MBAs. So students can get loans. But most, in fact, it's very rare. Most students don't get loans and it's very rare. And that's because of the affordability. So the cost I mentioned of US education is kind of a little bit out of control, about $120,000 on average. $120,000 is not a brand name that instantly pops to mind. We're not talking about USC. We're not talking about Yale. We're not talking about NYU. There you're in the sort of 250, getting close to even $400,000 for a qualification. It really is just crazy how, how high the prices are. Our costs are around $14,000 for an MBA or a bachelor's degree, going up to at the most exec senior level um, for an executive MBA around $17,000. And the first question we always get asked is, oh, you mean per semester? I'm like, no, that's not per semester. That's the cost of the degree. <laughs> oh, right, like the per year fee. It's like, no, that's just the cost of the degree. Um, so how, did you arrive, how did you arrive at that though? Because that is a, a, a great, it's a very affordable amount. How did you arrive at that? Well, there's two parts to that question. One is how did we sort of arrive at that as DeSera and how do our universities as partners arrive at that? Because, you know, students are ultimately getting a university qualification from the public institution. So for us as DeSera, we're a social enterprise. So not only do we do all the stuff that we've been talking about, online higher education degrees all around the world, um, we've also been funding our own foundation, our philanthropic foundation called the DeSera Foundation, which has delivered education initiatives in 27 countries across Africa. So for us, our mission, values, vision has always been around providing access to world-class education for everyone. We believe everyone should have an opportunity to get an education. Doesn't matter if it's a school child that we're supporting in Rwanda or an MBA student at LinkedIn in New York City. Everyone should still have an opportunity to get a world-class education. So clearly one of the things around that is access, but one of the other primary issues that we tackle is affordability. If a degree costs $200,000, it's for an elite market. It's not for everyone. So we have a vision around affordability. The other thing that's fantastic, though, is British education is by nature affordable. One of the great things about the British government and the British education system is they, in a bachelor's degree, for example, universities are not allowed to increase their fees. The government actually caps so that all universities have an affordable tuition for everyone. And it's an amazing outcome because there is no debate around affordability in the UK like there is here in the US. If someone wants to go to college, the only reason they wouldn't go is purely because they just don't have the motivation. They either lack the motivation or they just don't really want to do it. Fine, not everyone has to go to university, but that's a kind of personal choice. Do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? 
you don't have a situation where there are millions of people in the UK who are like, I wish I could go to university. I wish I had that opportunity, but I just can't do it. That doesn't actually happen. So the British government limits the uh, cap on education. So having a degree for $14,000 as a full MBA or a full bachelor's degree is incredible. And you're not even paying that up front. That's over the duration of the degree. So you could be working at Starbucks and paying $50 a week over a few years, you know, working part-time in shifts and you can still afford to pay for college and graduate with zero debt, which is quite incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. It's unbelievable. The American market we talked about is, is your biggest market. What are you, as you kind of, I mean, you've been around for a while, but as you, uh, we've recently met, so I'm going to speak to it on that basis. You're dipping your toe in LA. Okay. So what, what are your goals? I mean, you know, the world is a little upside down right now, but what can we expect to see from you over the next six, 12, six, nine, 12 months? Tell us a little bit more about some of those ambitions. Yeah. Interesting. So um, that's why, you know, we love the work of the BABC and what you guys are doing and what you stand for, because for us, it's about the collaboration and partnership between US and UK higher education. So Desert Global Business School, as a business school, we are registered in California as our headquarters. So we are a California registered US business school but the accreditations come from the UK. So it's really a partnership. It's not just a UK qualification. It's a partnership between a registered US business school and a mm-hmm. accredited UK public institution. And that's essentially who students are getting their qualification from, DeSir in the University of Wales or DeSir University of East London. And so our goals are to continue to expand in North America where our headquarters is. Our biggest markets were outside of the US because we've only been in the US quite recently. We've been operating in terms of delivering degrees in the US as a combined partnership for about 12 months. So it's pretty recent. But if I take the University of Wales as an example, people are like, oh, well, have they got ties and links to the US? They've been here for over 40 years with a whole range of university collaborations, partnerships, pathways. So decades that uh, these institutions have been collaborating for. But our goals really are to have very significant growth of thousands of students across the US market that uh, are interested in getting an MBA that we can help to make that dream come true. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, Matt, you, you came up with this idea, okay? And what was your inspiration behind it? So the inspiration behind the business school was getting back to what we were talking about in the first part of the webinar that, you know, really wanting to tackle that challenge of university education being relevant and practical. I'm going I'm to jump in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in though. Well, what was your, per- was there a personal experience for you? Was there, what was your motivation? I've got to believe Any CEO, I'm a CEO Uh myself. I've found as inspiration behind the businesses that I've set up, I'd really love to dig in deep and understand what was the really, what was the driving force behind you then? And what is the driving force behind you now? Sorry, that's what I wanted to clarify. That's, yeah, that's great. So in terms of personal drive and the connection to education and access to education. So when I was in high school, finishing high school in Australia, I was very lucky to go to a good school and a very supportive school. I was already living on my own when I was finishing high school. So I wasn't, you know, a sort of traditional family environment. Um, Living on my own, finishing high school, I could have very easily just dropped out of the system. And maybe if no one cared, I could have just easily just thought, oh, like, you know, I'll just go and watch TV or hang out with friends and whatever. And I don't need to bother studying and, and taking exams. 
but actually I was in a school that had incredible teachers. They were incredibly supportive. They were on top of me all the time, checking on me, checking what I was doing, making sure I was supported to actually finish school. And I always had this sense that it could have been very easy for me to not finish school if I didn't have that support. And I'm not talking about, you know, from family, I'm talking about from people that really didn't have any obligation to have to support me. Finished school, went to, you know, a top 100 worldwide university after that, started a legal career, got an opportunity then to work as a lawyer in the US and in the UK. And so I always had this sense that I was actually very lucky that I was given an opportunity to have an education and without that education, who knows, maybe things would have been different, but I feel like I've had a very lucky career and great opportunities that education has afforded me. And so my strong driver is what I mentioned before, that everyone should have the opportunity for a great education. Not everyone will necessarily want to take up that opportunity but everyone should at least be given the opportunity if they want it to have a great education. And for me, a great education is also a meaningful education. It's not just getting the piece of paper, it's actually helping people in their careers. And so that's what we take real pride in. The exact opposite, and you know, of course, I'm gonna say this, right, because I started the business school, but it's genuinely true that that comment I mentioned about the, the gap between what you learn in the textbook and in the lecture room, being totally disconnected to the skills you need in industry. We have students who study with us that work at Apple or LinkedIn, and literally they will say to us, the first day I started studying, I could actually apply skills into my job. And so that's like just, you know, the gold standard for us exactly. That's amazing. The whole principle that, you know, we're trying to envision is that when you're learning through our business school and our university partners, it really is helping you do your job better, which helps you get promotions, which helps you earn more money. And, you know, university, like anything else, should be thought of not just from an education lens, but from an ROI lens as well. And honestly, it's pretty hard to justify someone spending $150,000 on an MBA. Like even if you get a return because you're going to get a promotion or higher income, it's got to be really, really significantly better in terms of income level to justify that type of investment. $14,000, it's like, obviously, again, sounds like I'm selling it, which we are, but uh, $14,000, you will on average earn more than $14,000 a year by having an MBA. So it's like, it's paying off in the first year. Like, why would you not do that if it's really affordable and accessible and you can do it without even requiring a bachelor's degree and having to go back to school? That's where we're opening up that opportunity to people that just didn't think it was uh, possible. I'll just tell you one quick last story um, that I think is really yeah. interesting because we've got a guy in um, Pennsylvania who's doing our MBA, who's the head of a fire department. And he's doing a subject in his MBA, again, didn't have a bachelor's degree for various reasons, had to start work early and support family. And, and he's doing a marketing subject at the moment. I was chatting to him and he's doing a marketing subject at the moment. And I was asking him, well, how relevant is this? I mean, you work for a public institution in a fire department. And he said, oh, it's amazing. I'm doing this subject now. I'm already using it and applying skills. He said, one of the things that's a really big initiative for us is promoting in the community awareness around first aid and first responder, first aid requirements. And he said, I'm using what I'm learning in a marketing MBA to actually promote first aid into our local community. So I thought that's like just so cool that, you know, all the different ways that you can use these skills, not necessarily even in the way that we you know planned, but they're so practical and applied that that's the point that you use these skills and then you do assignments that are applied to your industry or your job function. Wonderful. Thank you, Matt. Um, we have an excellent question here talking about being practical. 
And we have Helen Holdsworth asking a question. Helen, I'm going to see if I can uh, get you, so we can get you to come in and talk and ask a question live. Would you like to ask the question live, Helen? Are you available to speak? Hi, yes, Helen. Yes, certainly. Hello. <laughs> Hi, welcome. I hope you're enjoying this, and then welcome to Matt as well. Very Maybe you much. could ask. Yeah, I love. I love the question you have. Do you want to ask Matt directly? Oh, certainly. Um, so. I think one of the challenges of making it much easier to to get a uh, an MBA is I would imagine that maybe you get some people who are it's maybe not the right thing and you've sort of lowered the bar for them. So, how do you um, decide who's a good applicant? What's the application process like? Um, what do you look for if not a bachelor's uh, success at the bachelor's degree level um, in your applicants to make sure that they're successful? Yeah. Good question, Helen. Really interesting because we get asked that a lot about, you know, being easy to get into an MBA and does that make the MBA process easier? And one of the things that we clarify first up is that it's actually not an easier process to get into the MBA. It's just a different process. You know, we refer to it sometimes as sweat equity. So anyone who's say been a manager of 500 people in a corporation or built their own business and run their own successful business, like in LA, we've got a CEO founder of an entertainment and LA entertainment business. He's been running his own business since he was, I think about 18 or 19 he was actually enrolled in college, so was doing a bachelor's degree, but he just couldn't juggle because his work was starting to take off and get really busy and he just couldn't juggle the college requirements on top of his professional requirements. So he ended up you know, doing 20 years um, building his business. So we wouldn't say that that's easier in terms of the skills that he has. Um, in fact, we'd probably say in a lot of ways, it's harder to get in to an MBA showing that level of experience and professionalism compared to someone who's attended college as maybe 22 without much real world experience. So it's not that one's easier or harder, they're just different. One is a more academic and one is a more practical hands-on management route. That's just to get into the MBA. Once you're in the MBA, it is the same rigor for an MBA. So, you know, anyone who's thinking about this, you know, don't sort of assume it's going to be an easy ride. It is a lot of work. It's hard work. It's a lot of time and a big commitment that you're putting in. It's a commitment to yourself personally and professionally, but also to your families because, you know, it's going to be time away from your family that you're spending studying. So you are doing a real MBA. One of the things, though, that is different, not easier, but one of the things that's different about the time commitment with us compared to going to, say, UCLA. UCLA is a great school, no, nothing against UCLA. But when you're doing a UCLA program, it's very academic and you're just studying the program that they're providing. So, Helen, I don't know what uh, sector you're in, but what, in what industry are you in, Helen? <laughs> I work at UCLA, actually. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Lucky I said no, uh, no, nothing against UCLA. Quite amazingly, we have senior management at UCLA doing our MBA. So, yeah. Oh, we, that's uh, interesting. Right. Really well. But what are you an academic or what's your role? Uh, I'm in uh, administration. Oh, okay. So in administration. So mm -hmm. you're working in administration at UCLA. Now, if you were doing a UCLA, UCLA MBA, or maybe let's not pick on uh, UCLA, let's say um, University of Washington MBA, also a good program um, and a good school. You would be doing a case study, say on mobile oil from 1985. So, you know, you will get some good background knowledge, some underlying principles, but at some level you'll be thinking, I'm learning about an oil company from a couple of decades ago. What does that really mean in terms of me managing administration at a major public university? So it's kind of disconnected from your role. So you've got your day job and then separate to that, 
you've got your university assignments and they don't actually overlap. You're kind of doing them as separate. So you've got to do all your MBA time on top of your job. With us, they actually integrate. So you would be doing your assignments for your MBA on working within a public major US university. So we would be talking to you about what is the vision? What are the goals? What are some of the big challenges? What are some of the big hurdles? And you might be saying, well, one of the things we're looking at is how to use artificial intelligence that can help to streamline some of the administration processes within the university. That would become one of your MBA assignments. So even though you've got time and effort with the MBA, it's actually part of your job as opposed to being on top of your job. That has a dual benefit. One benefit is it's more relevant and it's not as much extra time because it's kind of like you're getting an MBA for doing things you need to do, solve challenges anyway in your business environment. The second reason it's really attractive is when our students are working at LinkedIn or whatever and they go and ask their corporations for tuition support, they're much more likely to provide tuition support because they're saying, I'm not going to go and sit at NYU doing a lecture and learning about some case study on FedEx, I'm actually going to be doing applied research, analytics and project solving challenges of our company. And so, you know, requesting that organization to support really just a few thousand dollars towards the tuition because it's so cheap on an annual basis, you're talking about a few thousand dollars a year. It's not only practical and applied, it also means that you can get tuition support from your company a lot more easily than if a company's thinking, yeah, so you're going to get an MBA, but how does that really help our business? Thank you, Matt. That's great, Helen. Thanks for that question as well. Matt, I have a question for you, um, which is interesting. So I'm going to use my wife as an example. So she she went to University of Nevada and Las Vegas, and she would like to continue her education. And I think the, I'm understanding it, the way the system works out here is you have to have a certain amount of credits to be able to go and, and get on. So basically, she, should come, she could come to you and say, I'd like to do this part of my uh, education, and she could sign up. And is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as what you're saying? Because it just sounds very, very easy to do. Yeah. So for our bachelor's degrees, and let's say your wife, because I'm not sure, obviously, all, all of the circumstances, but let's say sure. she um, hasn't finished at UNLV. So she started a bachelor's degree, has done a bunch of credits, but hasn't finished. Really, mm -hmm. she can immediately, I can tell you now, just in a webinar without even seeing her transcript, she will get into the bachelor's degree, get credits for subjects she's done and be able to complete a British education because we accept, uh, we and our university partners accept any college credits as essentially evidence that you have the ability to take college level classes. So if any subject credits have been passed, that is your entry. So it's very easy to get entry in that way. If you haven't got that, then there's other ways, typical of most right. institutions as well, where you have, you know, your GPA, your high school, your certifications that show what you've done to get into a bachelor's degree. At the MBA level, let's say that your wife finished the UNLV bachelor's and is thinking about doing an MBA, that's easy because you get in based on having a bachelor's degree. So that's straightforward. And then the third option of how you get in is if you wanted to do an MBA without a bachelor's degree. And we require evidence that you've got those management skills and it's over a period of time. So one of our qualifications, one of our MBAs is a minimum of five years professional management experience. The executive MBA requires a minimum of eight years professional management experience. And there's ways of managing that. So we look through your CV. We actually require a couple of external references that demonstrate the management experience. And that's how we validate that you can come in on the management track versus the academic track. 
That's very interesting. No, I appreciate that. And I'm going to reach out to you, Matt, on a couple of different things after this anyway. Uh, good morning, everyone who's listening. We're almost at time here, and I just want to thank you for listening in. And, Matt, I want to thank you as well for giving us such a thorough explanation of what you do. It sounds absolutely fantastic, and we are delighted to have you involved with the British American Business Council here in L.A. And just as soon as when we can all get back together, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. I really mean that sincerely. Matt, we usually finish off every, every one of these uh, meetings with, uh, with the following, and I just want to ask you this question. I mean, everyone's learned something new and different during this, during this lockdown, pandemic, whatever you want to call it. But for the people listening now, for the people who are listening listen to this later, what words of wisdom or words of positivity would you like to share? Just a couple of sentences, just to leave them with that, feel good about themselves today. Yeah, that's great. Love it. I saw an ad actually on LinkedIn and it said something like in every crisis, there's a seed of opportunity. And I think that's really resonated with me and, you know, kind of words to live by in, in a situation like this. And I think there's always opportunities and the positive thing, the way I would answer that question is that what I've kind of found and I think is really incredible and you've always got to focus on the positives is the innovation and the ingenuity. So, you know, you're in LA. I was in LA a couple of weeks ago, went out for dinner. There's restrictions. You can't actually have indoor restaurants. So some restaurant owners could just, you know, shrug their shoulders and go, oh, well, that kind of sucks and, you know, just close up. But went to this place where they converted the car park, put down fake grass, put up temporary fencing, created a whole outdoor facility and just instantly thinking, it's just amazing to see people coming up with real solutions to challenges and not feeling like, oh, you know, isn't everything so terrible, but just being innovative. And I think, you know, there's always a solution if you're open-minded, positive-minded and looking for solving the problem rather than complaining about the problem. It's what you're saying is a necessity is the mother of all invention. I think that's where we're going. Uh -huh. I love it. And I absolutely agree with you. Now is a time for innovation more than any other time ever that I think anyone could ever remember. So that was a wonderful message. Matt, once again, I want to thank you and everyone listening. I want to thank you for listening to another live BABC Los Angeles webinar event. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've had Matt Jacobson here today from Doucet. Matt, for people listening, how do they get a hold of you? Do you want to just tell them that? We're going to send it out afterwards as well. But if you're listening now, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the easiest way um, to just check out what we're doing is to go to our website, Doucet, which is D-U-C-E-R-E, Doucet.education. Um, and then you can see everything there, all the courses, programs, information, articles, press, white papers. But the other option also is just to email me directly if there's any questions, I'm happy to answer, which is my initials, MJ. And then the URL is the same. So MJ at Ducer, D-U-C-E-R-E dot education. Fantastic. Matt, once we, oh, we have, uh, maybe we have a last minute question. Oh yeah, we just had, uh, Helen's just saying, thank you for being a great speaker. Well, thank you, Helen, for having such a great question. Thank you. Um, you know, with that, I just want to say thank you again. And uh, everyone listening, have a lovely uh, rest of your day. And wherever you are in the world, I want to wish you all the best. Thank you, Matt. Take care. Thanks so much, James. See you later.